Radio. Jason. Yeah, Brendan. <sighs> I'm not excited. No. We'd li- okay, I snuck in a little early, and I think I got the door locked in time, um, but I feel like he's going to show up. We did another Michael Caine movie. Well, he's not a ghost, so he should be able to. He shouldn't be able to just appear in the room and and uh, and approach us. And <gasps> oh no! Oi! You fucks! You dirty, dirty Canadian! That's what I'm saying. I'm gonna bring nationality into it. You dirty Canadian fucks! You watch another one of me fucking movies, and I get dragged on a plane. See, because I was far away in Brazil. That's where my wife is from, Shakira. I only learned her name recently. She's a lovely lady. I got dragged on a plane, see, here in a quarantine, in a pandemical situation. Eh? Jason, it's a good thing he didn't hear you call him a ghost earlier. (laughs) He'd be really mad. (laughs) That's right. Don't don't call me a ghost. I'm alive. I'm in my 80s, but I'm not dead yet. Look, I didn't want to come here any more than you do. I've been here, what, like five fucking times? Five. I come to your room, I stand in this fucking room, this bedroom that you sleep in. I come here and I'll talk about a movie I was in 50 fucking years ago. And what you do about it, what you do for me, nothing. Hey, nothing. Sorry. That's sorry, right, sorry. you're sorry. You're sorry because you're a prick. And a prick who can't stand up for his own life, can't stand up for his own ethics, his own, his own stances, his own ills that he's going to die on. No, you're just a fucking coward. Uh, hey, Michael, it sounds like outside they're talking about raising taxes. Oh, I don't like that. I don't. Now, look, fellas, I gotta go now. I gotta go. If you watch another single fucking movie of mine, understand, and I think there's at least one more on there, I'm gonna come back here, and I'm gonna do terrible things to your face. I'm not gonna kill you necessarily, although I might. So think about that. The next time you disturb me and my beautiful wife, Shakira. Remember that name, eh? It's not the other one. That confused me too. So her her, her hips do lie? Uh, on occasion, they have been known to lie. But that's none of your fucking business, eh? Is it? I don't know. So what I'm going to say is that Ipcrest File, great movie. Glad you watched it. Happy you appreciated it. But leave me out of it. All right. Okay? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Uh, oh, no, the taxes are skyrocketing. Oh. Listen, fellas, I gotta go deal with this, but, uh, fuck off, eh? Did he disappear in a ball of flame? <laughs> Everyone, Jason, you can't leave this room without a jetpack. I, I don't... <laughs> oh, that, it was jet. yes, I see, the flames shot, yes, yeah. that's why I thought it was a fireball. I just get my mouth shut, because I knew he was gonna come for me. Jason, uh. I, I'm really offended that you don't get my morning zoo crew, uh, cues to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was trained by Nick and Morty in the morning, and... <laughs> Nick and Morty in the morning? Who are these rip-off artists? I, those guys are getting sued. My mind, my mind tried to improv, but I was naming real people, and it was a last-minute change in my head. <laughs> Gonna be like Nick and Lori or something. <laughs> I like Nick and Lori. They, that's like the whitest uh, morning duo. Oh, hey, coming up next, it's Nick and Lori. Hey, welcome. Hey. Is everybody awake? <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Coming up next, it's Sam and Jen. <laughs> 
Nick and Lori in the morning. I think we got something there. Now we just got to find Nick Kroll and Lori Morgan. The country singer? Yep. Okay. Um, we're gonna get them together. They're gonna be great. It's gonna be. It's gonna be uh, uplifting. Nick Nick Kroll can work with anybody. So yeah. I'm definitely. But Jason, this is a podcast. It is a podcast about what, Brendan? About British. <laughs> Ilm! As ordained by the powers that be in the year of our Lord, 1999, by the British Film Institute of Britain. Yes. The BR, the BFIB. No, the BR, you got it. <laughs> the British Film Institute. <laughs> that's, the, that's the abbreviation. Well, it, based on other British, like, abbreviations, it, it shouldn't, like, 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 Ofcom, it should, shouldn't it be, like, Britfilm, like we do. Britfilm. It should, but it's not. Britfilm in. Uh, Jason... We talk about, we talk about, yes, we talk about the BFI Top 100. We talk about a movie on that list every single week, or for the most part. Um, chosen and, by the gods of film and die. And die, yeah. It's chosen by the gods of film who then die. Yes. Um, <laughs> we kill them. We, we attack and dethrone those film gods. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a movie this week. Um, but before we talk about that particular film. We got to talk about another one. Yeah, and also I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. <laughs> We're going to read some comments about last week's movie, The Ipcrest File. Comments from our listeners. Yeah. Oh, we got comments. Oh, comments into the night. They give us comments. All through the night. When you kiss me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going into the real song there. <laughs> we'll get sued. Stop it. Ah! Jason, we're going to read some comments about last week's film, which was, of course, the Michael Caine anti-Bond spy flick, The Upcrest File. I don't know if I'd say it was anti-Bond. I don't think Anti- he was trying to... Bond. Wait, did, you, did you see the director's cut? Was there a subplot where he was literally trying to murder James Bond? Which I think would be a great movie. I just meant in terms of like the way that spy thriller progressed. We, I think we kind of agreed that it was uh, very unlike uh, a hmm. James Bond film. Is George Lazenby still alive? I'm not sure. Maybe he'd be available. He's very old. And well, I, I wait. get the sense that a very old Michael Caine could theoretically take him out. Oh, sorry. Wait. Did you think I meant like anti, like against? I just meant like yeah, anti-Bond, yeah. like his aunt James Bond. Oh, yeah, that's right. His aunt James yeah. Bond got him the job. Yeah. I see. Exactly. All right, all right. James Bond identifies as an aunt now. So comments, comments about this movie. Our first one is from our good old buddy Sharon Horwat. Sharon Horwat has a few notes um, after watching it. Love to hear from her. Love to hear from you, Sharon. Uh, so, The Upcrest File. This movie was a lot more difficult to find than I thought it would be. Apparently, it's now... Um, I don't know if this is just recent, but I did find the entire thing on YouTube. So, if anyone is listening, just search for it. It is there. Get um, it before it's gone. It, probably. <laughs> Michael Caine is on YouTube right now looking for it. Where's, yeah. this bloody, where's this bloody movie? I want to take you, it down. You weren't supposed to post the bloody movie. <laughs> That's right. Um, Sharon also says, Sharon also says, this might be me, but young Michael Caine looks very attractive in a way that confuses my brain. Probably because the very first thing I saw him in was Secondhand Lions, which is super underrated. He was an old ass motherfucker in that movie. And that was 2003. So that was 17 years ago. Wow. That was just, was, I think Gene Hackman was still acting. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was the same year he did Runaway Jury. Yeah, there you go. Uh, A movie that everyone won't shut up about in 2021. I mean, it's just everywhere. Runaway jury this, runaway jury that. Quick question. Oh, it is an either or. Runaway jury, jury duty. Runaway jury. Oh, interesting. 
Are you kidding me? Polly Shore is the bane <laughs> of my existence. There's some fun Polly Shore out there. There's not There's fun. There is zero. Son in law is a classic, folks. Check it out. It is not. Don't do it. <laughs> Her next note is the line Don't slouch about like a pregnant camel. What is this line? It's, that's exactly the sort of thing that Michael Caine would say. Did he say um, it? I hope he said it. I'm not sure. She also says the line, he doesn't even have my sense of humor, was a perfect joke. That's when his uh, commanding commanding guy is like, you're, you're not going to like this new guy. He doesn't have my sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, that is a good joke. <laughs> um, she says, this halluc- hallucination stuff is simultaneously messed up and trippy. I don't know how to feel about it. Um, and then she says, overall, I get the appeal, but I prefer more modern spy movies like the Kingsman movies, which are funny, but have very human moments to ground everything. Very there nice. you go. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon. I, mean, I, I will say, I thought this movie did have a lot of, like, um, grounded moments, though. I think that's why mm-hmm. I thought it was a lot uh, not like James Bond. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and to me, first and foremost was that fight scene that we saw in that long yeah. shot that played out like a real fight where it was messy and, you know, it wasn't choreographed. It was just two guys basically wrestling with each other because that's what would happen. Not naked wrestling. No. Unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah. <sighs> two movies where you've had that so far, Jason. Will we make it three? Wait, what was the other Naked Wrestling? Oh, I mean, I think there might be another one in the near future. Keep your eyes peeled, folks. You never know what you might see. <laughs> never know. It's almost like we record these out of order. Uh, um, okay. Go ahead, Jason. Who else we got here? Uh, our next comment comes from one Tracy Walker. Texas Tracy's, Ranger. That's right. Tracy Walker, Texas Ranger. Descendant of, uh, of Chuck Norris's Walker, Texas Ranger. Was that guy's? What was that guy's name? Do you know? Was it like John? Uh, I Walker? believe his last name was Texas Ranger, and his first name is Walker, and his middle Makes name sense. was Comma. Makes sense. Stop. I mean, re- Godfather. It's like when somebody's named Jeeves. They don't really have a choice in their career in life. You know, Jeeves got to be a butler. Walker, Texas Ranger, has to join the Texas Rangers and walk a lot. So Tracy says, "I had a dream the other night that my parents were Michael Caine and Maggie Smith. That's all I have to contribute." L O L. Well, Tracy, you know what? I'm just happy you're paying attention. You know, you don't have to, you know, guys don't have to send us comments that mean anything. If if you have something that you dreamt about, or you have something that just kind of made you laugh as you were staring out the window during your completely meaningless existence, uh, let us know about it because we love hearing it. So thank you, Tracy. You lighten my day. And then we, I, I did find out later that there is a movie where Michael Caine and Maggie Smith play a couple. I don't remember the name of it, but it exists. So Tracy, you should find that movie and watch it. Too Much British, starring Michael Caine and Maggie Smith. (laughs) Fancy a jaw, do you? Patrick C. Taylor says, I've watched this and Funeral in Berlin, and they are both okay, but lack the nihilistic punch of Caine and Get Carter. Also, if you want an anti-Bond film, watch The Taylor of Panama. Pierce Brosnan plays a pure id version of Bond in that. Is that a more recent movie? Um, It's like early 2000s i think but i'm just like thinking like the id version of james bond must be horrific yeah, well yeah i mean you'd be more like the original james bond in the books like just this brutish fucking asshole yeah i'm just thinking like a james bond that acts on his every whim um isn't that james <laughs> bond I me mean, kind of yeah um james all right bond, here we got charisma it. maybe yeah we got our old pal aeolin allen Alan. He won't he won't tell me how to pronounce it right. Every time I say oh. it, he says it's wrong, but he won't give me the correct pronunciation. So I'm just going to change it every single time. Uh, Alan. Just call him Alan. Alan Allen says, enjoyed it, but good rather than great. 
like how they delivered pieces of exposition and development while having scenes in unusual locations, such as the supermarket and bandstand. Just allowed a couple of asides and interactions that kept the scenes interesting to watch, then purely advancing the story. Yeah, I like uh, the supermarket thing because I like how yeah. dated that was. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I just want to see yeah, the idea that the supermarket as a concept was new to England at that point. Like, that's fascinating. A supermarket? Get everything in one location? Well, I, I what would my servants do? I, I have them employed for eight hours a day. They'll be shopping in one hour and they'll be sitting around collecting dust and eating various types of fruit that they've stolen from my garden. Exactly. What will the Fox Brothers do? Because I don't remember which <laughs> Fox is in that movie. I think it's Edward. It doesn't matter. They're both great. Yeah. They're interchangeable, but in the best sort of way. There you go. Uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, our next comment comes from Christopher Barry. And Christopher says, A much more downbeat and low-key spy film than any Bond film. Rather than anti-Bond, more anti the notion of the swinging 60s with its grimy depiction of London. It's based on a book by Len Dayton, who also wrote cookbooks. This one is very much tongue-in-cheek. Len Dayton's action cookbook. Really? Well, check out what I have. Um, that is, wow. What is this? That is, what is this? SSGB. It's about uh, an alternate, uh, alternate history where... Britain is invaded by the uh, Nazis in World War II, and London's occupied by the SS. And written by Len Dayton. Written by Len Dayton. There you go. I was um, showing him the book. He showed me his book, The Action Cookbook. I showed him my book, SSGP. We had a moment, folks. You didn't see it, but I hope you felt it. I hope you felt it. And, you know, if you want to shoot us a couple grand, we'll provide you with the video footage. Absolutely. I think a couple grand $2, is a fair price. $2,000. And that's American. Oh, yeah. 100%. Obviously. Fuck Canada. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. The prime minister is coming for me. (laughs) Oh, no. I hope he doesn't assault me with his political correctness. I'm just kidding. I'm not that person. Please don't say that person. And after Uh, all that shit, again, thank you, Christopher, for writing in. Yes. Thank you, Christopher. Um, Andy Utek says, I liked it quite some time ago. I do fear, though, that revisiting it might not go well. The pacing in films of this era is tough for my 2021 attention-limited brain. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Andy. I've been playing video games for 30 years. My attention span is nothing, and I love this movie. So it's probably – I think it, it moves. Uh, for a 60s movie i think you i think we talked about this before too jason i think when you watch a movie like this it's not so much a problem here but i think a lot of these movies you have to get into a certain headspace before right and i mean if we just said oh this movie's slow i think we would say that on almost i mean a good majority of movies that we've covered and that doesn't automatically make it bad when you think of it in the context of the era and, and the kind of movies we've watched and the kind of movies that you, the listener, has probably, have probably watched in your life, you know, movies back then were slower. They took their time more. I mean, we, as, as I said in Dr. No, we see him walking around a lot uh, yeah. in a way that we wouldn't see today. There was a clip that was going around online the other day, so I kind of memed up of, from an episode of Columbo, where Columbo walks into a room. He, like, looks around. He, like, reaches into his coat. He pulls out, like, a piece of paper, goes over to a telephone. He picks up the telephone. He dials all, like, nine numbers on the rotary dial phone of the thing. And then he begins a conversation with someone. <laughs> we saw the entire process. <laughs> well, thankfully we have modern auteurs like, uh, Neil Breen, who still believe in showing you the entire entrance and exit of a character into every scene. 
you can't truly understand a character unless you see every single thing they do. Right. I, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna end that scene until we see them disappearing over the horizon like Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, so our last comment. Oh, you'll go ahead. Our last comment. I'll get this one from. Oh, you, yes, of course you give it to me because now I have to try to pronounce this gentleman's last name. Uh, Ryan Cirati. Cirati. Thirty. Sure. Let us know, Ryan. Ryan Ryan S says TCM a few <laughs> years uh, back had the Harry Palmer trilogy on. While the Ipcrest file is the best of them, I found it okay. To me, the Andy Bond would be the Matt Helm films. I don't know. They're wacky, funny, and very popcorn entertaining. Are you familiar with those films? It's uh, it's Dean Martin. Oh, okay. Dean Martin. Uh, there's a poster for Dean Martin in a film called The Silencers, and so the tagline. Martin... Yeah, no, and the sorry. tagline says uh, Matt Helm shoots the works, and he's being carried by a lot of uh, beautiful ladies in various forms of undress. That does sound interesting. I mean, I do like the idea of a spy movie where Dean Martin's just being, you know, uh, the, the drunk Dean Martin character the whole time. That'd probably be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, Those are so our comments. Thanks, thanks for that yeah. suggestion, Ryan. And thank you, everyone. Um, but now we come to the most important part of this section, and that is where we compare this movie, which is number 59 on the BFI Top 100, to whatever number 59 is on the AFI Top 100. So this is the segment of the show where Jason, uh, by default, awards it to the British film. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, and I, At this point in my life, I have seen more British movies probably than American movies. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Um, and I try to raggle, uh, raggle my brain? rake my brain rack my brain brain? rack your brain you you guys were a part of that whole process um where i tried to rack my brain in deciding which one is better so number 59 on the bfi top 100 is the upcrest file number 59 on the afi top 100 is the film the robert altman film nashville oh i've not seen nashville what i've seen robert altman films i've seen mash I think I, I think I even watched a Prairie Home Companion. I did not see Doctor T and the Women. Not a big fan of Mash. I'm just spoiler alert that right now. What? No, sorry. What is wrong with you? I thought you were a film fan. Uh, it's not great. That movie says they say the word fuck in that movie. They do in Gosford Park too, which is a much better movie. Did you ever watch the Mash TV show? Uh, no. It's much better. I do like the movie, but the TV show is much better. Okay, so in so in, no, we're so not in, done with Mash yet. <laughs> in summation, Jason, you have to give it by default to the Upcrest file. I'm guessing by default, I suppose. But I do like Robert Altman, and uh, Nashville's about what country music, I imagine. Good guess. Is it like a Prairie Home Companion, but with country music? Kind of, Ka- okay. kind of. It, you know, it's. And I thought about as soon as I found out this was Nashville, I was like, oh, this is going to be a tough decision because I don't know, I don't know. I I do like Nashville a lot. Mm-hmm. and it's it's got the altman staples of like you know characters talking over each other very naturalistic dialogue we got choppers uh, <laughs> and it's interesting because it's compared to like this movie which i feel is a more um realistic james bond spy thriller mm-hmm. uh and it's so it's got both those things going for it so man i don't know uh, i'm gonna give it to the upcrest file but it's really close it's really really close by, by a hair by a hair. Now, what if Robert Altman... Did Robert Altman ever direct a spy movie? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Robert Altman's <laughs> Entrapment. Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> I just We're imagine just talking just about the, Catherine Zeta Jones's butt for like twenty her butt. minutes. It's like when she's doing that, she's going through the lasers and you're getting shots of ass and stuff, and it's just her and Sean Connery just yapping at each other the entire time and not shutting up and talking at the same time and annoying each other. Yeah. And then we cut to backstage for some reason. <laughs> there we and go. There's a, <laughs> and there's uh, Michael Douglas just uh, uh, working his jaw up, just uh, stretching it out, you know, getting ready. Oh, for the no. no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, those are the comments for the Upcrest file. And now we are going to talk about this week's film, Jason. We're going to talk about the Lavender Hill Mob. Folks, if, if Brendan isn't actually on the podcast, please email me and let me know. I just want to make sure that he is not a figment of my imagination and that this isn't one insane monologue. Have you ever heard Jason and I apart from each other? Have you ever seen us in the same place? Yeah. I mean, when when you were a guest on, what were they thinking? Was it just you and Nathan? It could have been, yeah. Two, two insane monologists coming together to talk about a bad movie. Well, speaking of insane monologists, that's nothing like this movie. We're no. talking about the Lavender Hill Mob out of 1951. Yes. Number 17 on this list, directed by Charles Crichton, who may be the director who has the movies that are like the furthest apart from each other in terms of the years they were released. Mm-hmm. Because the other movie he directed on this list is A Fish Called Wanda, which isn't until 1988. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. That's a long career. Yeah, he was like... In his 80s, when he, or almost in his 80s when he Now, is that, that spelled Crichton, like Crichton from Red Dwarf with a K and a Y? Or is that spelled Crichton, like Michael Crichton, the uh, author with a C and an H and a... Uh, that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, we were talking about the Lavender Hill Mob. This is an Ealing Studios comedy. Mm. And we have a bunch of names showing up in this. Old friends abound in this uh, movie, ladies and gentlemen. So Lots get ready people. for some familiar faces. We have Sir Alec Guinness... As, a long time since we've seen Alec Guinness. A long time. As our lead, Henry... Actually, we haven't... Sorry. We haven't seen Alec Guinness since Lady Killers, have we? I feel like we saw him more recently than that, but Did I don't we? I don't know. Hmm. But he plays Henry uh, Dutch Holland. He's our lead. We also have Stanley Holloway as Mr. Pendlebury. Hmm. Uh, we remember him from... Uh, Passport to Pimlico, wasn't yes, it? Yes, Passport to Pimlico. And, and, and also... I believe was, he was in Brief Encounter yes, as well. Yes, he was the... the yeah. Was a conductor? We have, uh, uh, he reporter. was the guy that was hitting on the woman. Yeah, in the but he, shop. Was, he was like a porter or a conductor yeah. or somebody. He was a uniformed train employee. Uh, rounding out the Lavender Hill mob, we have Sid James as Lackery. Sid James is a guy who shows up in a bunch of Carry On movies. Is he in Carry On Up the Kyber? He you is. know? So we will see him so again. We'll see him again. Yeah, we'll see him again. Uh, Alfie Bass, as you remember from Alfie, but not playing Alfie, no, is uh, in, in this was... movie as a shorty. And of course, I'll remind the audience that Alfie Bass also played Mr. Goldberg, I believe, on a later season of Are You Being Served in the 70s when he was a much older man. We also remember him uh, from his brief uh, cameo in um, Thunderball, where he's walking across the bridge, and I believe he gets drenched by a boat. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Alfie Bass, great guy. Um, we have uh, Edie Martin 
who has been in a number of movies that we've talked about in very small roles, but she plays Miss Evesham. Yes. You mentioned she's like the older she's, lady in Lady Killers. Yeah, in Lady Killers, when they have that, like, I, I, I don't want to use this term, but I can't think of a better name for it, so please help me. Uh, the hen party that she has where all the old ladies come over. Sure. Um, there's a there's a very cute old lady with glasses and 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 she's I don't even remember what she says but I think she has a real funny line. She's yeah she's the one that plays Miss Evesham in this movie and, two... and she only has a very small role in this movie but she's great. Yeah, I mean bigger than the Lady Killers, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's also two cameos in this movie. Yes. So the man who plays the customs officer is Desmond Lulin, who you may know as Q. Desmond Llewellyn. Llewellyn, whatever. It's, it's Welsh. Get it right. Okay. Uh, you may know as Q from the Bond movies. Oh, cool. And the other cameo, Jason, I'm just going to play the clip and see if you can tell me who this is. Now, Brendan asked me, and I didn't know. He said, did you notice the cameo at the beginning? And I thought he meant Ms. Evesham. But no, it's somebody else. So now I get to see if I can guess who the cameo is. On for screen and, and country. country. I get to say it all. I hope I'd see you. You'll run along and get yourself that little birthday present. Oh, but how sweet I So she had one line in that scene. Do you know who that is? Is Jason? that Audrey Hepburn? That is Audrey. Wow! I, I I thought when I first saw it, I just offhandedly to myself, never even think about. It, I thought, oh, she kind of looks like Audrey Hepburn. Like she got that vibe to her. And it turns out uh, there's a good reason. Actually, you know what I wrote down was Chiquita. I thought Chiquita was a hilariously like just generic like foreign name to pull. It's like, oh, it's the name of a banana. She'd be cute if I called her Chiquita. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's still cute today, and mm. nothing's wrong with that. Um, but no, apparently she, this so this is like her, I think her first role. Mm. And she was actually going to be in a bigger part of the movie, but she was doing so much stage stuff at the time that she was kind of unavailable. But that's crazy. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn, and she's in that scene for like 15 seconds and lights it up. Yeah, like, oh yeah, you no, just, she's very pretty. And, right and away, she has that presence. I actually remember what, one of my thoughts when seeing that scene was like, they couldn't have got a Cuban person? Like, he's, he seems to be in Cuba. Like, why wouldn't they have a local? But I mean, to, I mean, to be fair to the movie, they do have some, lo- they do appear to have some locals playing playing the Cubans, so that's good. Are they in Cuba? I thought I, he was I in assumed Rio de Janeiro. Well, oh, right, yes, he's in Rio. I, I assumed because he was wearing a white suit he was in Cuba. That's fair. You, you have played a lot of uh, Godfather the video game. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... <laughs> So the Lavender Hill Mob, is, we've done a lot of Ealing movies. We've done a lot of Al Guinness movies. But this movie is basically, it's a heist movie. Yes. It's an earlier heist movie than The Italian Job. We have determined that The Italian Job may not have been the the forefather as we as may might have thought it was. So if you remember our allusion in the comments to The Italian Job many weeks ago, whenever that was, uh, this is what we were talking about. Uh, yeah. It turns out this is even earlier. And, well, I mean, Lady Killers was earlier in The Italian Job, wasn't it? But I still feel like there was stuff in The Italian Job that wasn't a staple in no. this movie that showed up in that movie later. Just saying. Okay. Not the first heist movie ever. That would be crazy. Yeah, no, I wonder. There's probably something even The Great Train this. Robbery, maybe? You know, from like 1902? I feel like it probably didn't have a lot of heist tropes. <laughs> I don't think there was time. That's true. <laughs> um, but this is, yeah, this is a movie in which Alec Guinness it plays a very bookish character. Yes. Um, With a very mild uh, uh, speech impediment. Yeah, and, and I don't know if that's in a, a function of like a speech impediment that he made a direct choice, or if it's a function of the type of accent he's doing, uh, where he's doing a very kind of posh, uh, uh, where the the R is softened into a W sound, like a ba ba wawa kind yeah. of uh, impediment. Yeah, so he's doing he's doing a very different 
role here. And I mean, not to skip to the end, but I mean, this did give, get him an Oscar nomination. So this is, I think the people realize like this was kind of outside of what you usually expect from him. Like mm. it seems to be on the surface, a very standard Allegheny's isn't a comedy. Like there's physical comedy and yeah. stuff like that. But I feel like if you watch the movie, it's very outside of his comfort zone, I guess. Well, he's he's playing a character here, and it's a more subtle character maybe than, say, Prince Faisal in Lawrence of Arabia. But it's <laughs> yeah. also not like where Alec Guinness is kind of just being Alec Guinness, which is perfectly acceptable. You know, we, yeah. we love Alec Guinness, and we're happy to see him in whatever. But I mean, you could I mean, you could argue, like, I think in everything he has, like, kind of stretched a little bit. Mm. But I think in this one, it's just so – it just feels so different. Like, I can always see Alec Guinness in the role – but in this one, I mean, I do see him. I know it's him, but I also kind of forget. Yeah. Because he's doing something different. Take note. Uh, John C. Riley. No, he's great. What am I doing? Well, maybe he should remember that Alec Guinness was also great. <laughs> just John C. Riley, just write down that, write that down your notebook. <laughs> I mean, uh, guys, uh, I, I like him. He's great. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Okay, bye. <sighs> Jetpack again. It's always you have to. Jason, we're on the 73rd floor. You can't just take an elevator. That's true. There's Who's no ladder. The- there's no elevator. There's no stairs. <laughs> no. Uh, it, it, I wish we had spiral stairs like there's, the Eiffel Tower, but we'll talk about that when we get there. There's no building, really. No. no I mean, technically. Kind of a platform in the middle of the sky. <laughs> I got, I'm amazed at the Wi-Fi we get up here. It's really good. <laughs> but, this, yeah, so this movie is about a heist. Um, Alec Guinness works for a... Uh, like a bank, kind of, or he transports money. He's an armored car. Now, my question right out of the gate was, and it was quickly answered, but my question right out of the gate once we realized that he's planning this heist is, yeah. is Alec Guinness a character that was a mild-mannered bank manager, mild-mannered bank manager, it's hard to say, mm-hmm. that just took an opportunity presented to him, or has he been running a long con? And it's quickly answered that he has been running a long con. He has yeah. worked for this company for 20 years, what company, the government, I believe, or the bank or something, but... For 20 years, he has worked. Mm-hmm. And he has been a fusspot. He is the guy that is squeaky clean. like, uh, And that's demonstrated by when they're pouring the gold. A glob of gold falls onto his shoe, and he sticks it with his umbrella and puts it back into the, uh, into the forge, mm-hmm. or whatever you call it. Uh, he has really committed for 20 years for the opportunity to get a bunch of gold. <laughs> but do you think he's been pl- like planning it for that long? I, feel I think like so, this is, yeah. I, I think I, that this has been his ultimate goal of, of working the entire time to establish his reputation until the moment is right. Really? Because yeah. I thought this was more of like, a, I don't think it's on the, on the fly, but I thought it was more of like, um, like recently, like in the last like, couple of months or years or whatever he's just like i realize that i'm getting so old and all i, I don't have much to show for i'm it. certainly willing to allow that i missed something there but but he because at one point but what sticks to me because at one point he he talks about like the fact that he had worked there for 20 years and he'd been doing this and it was finally time for this so i don't know if you if folks have any special insight please let us know maybe i just uh, misread it but that's how i got it that he's been working on this long con for a long time either way it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy, Brendan. <laughs> this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, and if folks want to tell us, they can just hit us up on Parlor. That's right. <laughs> Where speech is free. Yeah! America! And we can advocate murdering politicians, I guess? Oh, my God. Is that cool? I don't even know. It's going to be shut down another year or something. Um... Yes, so Alec Guinness. And then a year from now, Brendan is like, well, it turns out Parler is the most successful uh, social media platform in the planet. I was an idiot. And now it's left-wing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, leftists took a, the leftists took over Parler. They stole it from us. 
Alex Jones, what are you doing here? Fuck off! I'm telling you that they stole, they stole Parler from us and they're making the frogs gay. I want to reiterate that because I say that every time. I know it sounds silly, but that is a, a legit fact. He sounds a lot more Southern than usual. Well, he's from Texas. All right, I got to get back to a hole somewhere and tell people about uh, uh, nanobots and the vaccine. So goodbye, jetpack. Oh, he forgot to put start his jetpack. He, oh, oh, god damn it! Oh. This fucking thing—it's what you get when you buy a jetpack from Alpha Brain. I didn't. I was the pills were one thing, but now they got a fucking jetpack. I should have known it wouldn't work. <laughs> ah! We should not give a platform no, to that man. No, we should not. No, we shouldn't let him come on our <laughs> podcast. But we're in the middle of nowhere on this massive platform in the sky. We can't help people jetpacking in. <laughs> what are we, fucking Je- Joe Rogan over here? <laughs> yeah, come on our podcast and just talk for four hours, Alex. He didn't even stay long enough to get high, that uh, asshole. Yeah. Um, okay, so... <laughs> so... The Lavender Hill Bob. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a great uh, movie. So Alec Guinness is... Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so Alec yeah, he said he's been playing this. I said, I'm not sure, so that's the debate right now. Yes. Um, but I, I... So that's what's going on. So he eventually, like, you know, he he's living at a hotel um, because I'm guessing that's all he can afford because he doesn't make a whole lot of money. No, uh, I don't get that, Brendan. Now, maybe, maybe I'm just a young kid at age 37 and I don't understand the ways of the world. Mm-hmm. But... To me, in my mind, the entire life is the, the idea of living at a hotel was one of convenience and not one of money. Because hotels, at least today, a hotel's a lot of money. You want to stay a week at a hotel? That's that's a month's worth of rent in this town. I mean, I guess it depends on the hotel. But I mean, if you don't have anywhere else to go and you just need a place that has you know like furniture and a stove, maybe and... his maybe his work pays for the hotel. Ooh, well, they do seem real nice, even though they don't really think much of them, and, and until they eventually offer him a promotion. But at the worst uh, possible time. But at the we'll, worst possible time. But yeah, so he goes off, and he's living in the hotel. A new guy moves in, Mister Pendlebury. He finds that this Mister Pendlebury guy makes uh, uh, makes souvenirs, souvenirs for various countries, <laughs> other countries. Part. Yeah, he makes he makes like Eiffel Tower souvenirs that he makes in Britain with lead, and then sh- and then ships over to France that they then sell at the Eiffel Tower to British children who bring them back to Britain. Yeah, and, he, and he even there's even line where he says it probably cost people a lot less money in luggage if they just came here and got it yeah they just bought it directly from me <laughs> <laughs> but he gets the idea like oh your factory is kind of like is similar to the one that you know makes the gold or put the um solidifies the gold and this is the thing that would be more difficult today because today we know that lead is not really good for you at all and we would not make souvenirs out of lead, so it's unlikely that a souvenir maker would have their own foundry on hand to yes. uh, melt down lead. But but it works here because gold is yeah. like lead; it's very heavy and it melts down relatively easily with the right amount of fire. So essentially, they go through; the, they they get two more people. They they um, they get some it. real hard nosed criminals. Well, we'll get into it. We, we we'll get into. It. I just want to give like the basics. Here. All right, they get Lay two it more people. Uh, they, they plan the heist, they do the heist, everything starts going wrong, and then the movie ends, and we'll talk about that later, but <laughs> that's basically it. So basically what you're saying is that there's some characters, they get together, some stuff happens, and then the movie ends. Right. Okay. So Jason, where do you want to start? What's the first thing that's just eating at your mind that you want to talk about? Alfie Bass is very young in this movie. <laughs> That was it. That was the first one. <laughs> I mean, because I, I have this, because I, I'm such a big Harry Being Served fan, I picture this old man who plays uh, uh, Mr. Goldberg in, in, you know, this is in the, like, mid-80s, right? So, but this is in 1951, so this is 35 years before that, and so this he's very young and skinny, and, and uh, but he's still got a big nose. <laughs> I have a I have a big over overall question, I guess. Sure, hit me up with this. start this. Um, this movie starts much like English Patient, 
Um, (laughs) With a plane crash? (laughs) No, at the end of the film. Oh, right, yes. Um, Because he's in Rio. We don't know what what he's doing. We think, oh, he's clearly got some money. He's in Rio. He's having drinks. He's having a great time. Whatever happened, he's gotten away from it. Yeah, exactly. Don't blame it on Rio. He went there himself. That's right. And he's not going to pretend his dad is I wouldn't blame it on that poor parrot anyways. (laughs) I... Is that the parrot's Rio. name, Rio? I don't know. It's that movie with Gerard Depardieu, where like uh, his. I'm daughter... thinking of one where Johnny Depp uh, plays a parrot. No, I'm talking about that's Elf. Rango. Never oh. mind. <laughs> <laughs> there is a movie called Rio. I'm okay. pretty sure, but it's not Johnny Depp. Okay. Did, wait, Johnny Depp doesn't even play a parrot. He plays a lizard. Is it a lizard? Rango. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, that's my confusion. Oh boy! Everybody listening to this is like, shut the fuck up. This is what you get when you tune into our podcast. My insanity and Brendan's um, devoted uh, service, especially when this is our first recording we've done in like two, three weeks. So anyway, what was I saying? Uh, you were talking about Johnny Depp and Rango. I was not. <laughs> I was not. Oh. So the beginning of the movie, like I said, he's in Rio or whatever. We don't really know what's happening. And then he's telling the story. And the rest of the movie is like the story of how he ended up there, how the heist went and everything. So what do you think about like using that for a heist movie? Because at first I was like, that's weird because then I know – in my head, of course, not having seen the ending, I'm mm. like, well, that, that's weird because now I know that everything went great. Absolutely. And then it's paid off by the ending. Right. Yeah. But, like, it's weird at first, right? Yes, it Did is weird. It same... is weird at first because, yeah, it's like, oh, well, I know he gets away with it, I guess, you know, because he's talking it was a year ago and he's here and whatever. And Yeah. But I think the movie is very good in that I was able to get back into the suspense stuff. Yeah. But, like, still at the beginning, my initial thought is, like, oh, Okay. But also, you know, certainly the tone of this movie going in, I didn't expect that this was going to be like the Italian job or fucking Day of the Jackal and be like this brutal fucking, like, people getting killed left and right. Alec Guinness just gets blown to the fucking wall. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, they do that, and then, you know, they have the movie, and then the ending. I mean, we can talk about the ending right now because the ending is essentially, like, the whole time he's been sitting there, he's actually been handcuffed to this yes. guy. And I actually didn't even catch that when I first watched the movie. No. I just saw them walking away, yeah. and I said, that's the ending? Yeah. Like, he's telling this guy a oh, story. You mean, oh, I, th- I thought you meant you didn't catch it when it was in the beginning. No. Oh, no, no. I didn't catch Well, nobody catched it at the beginning, yeah. I don't think. But he never moves his arm yeah. that's handcuffed, which is a little clue. But um, at the end, when they walk away, I literally said out loud, that's the ending? Like, <laughs> they just, they they were just, just left? <laughs> it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I, I honestly thought, so as he's telling the story to this guy, and the guy's like, ready? He goes, ready. I almost pictured Alagonis to stand up and be like, any of you fucking bricks move, I'm going to execute every last motherfucking one of you. <laughs> I think Quentin Tarantino had the exact same thought when he watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> but... Yeah, so the whole thing is that it doesn't work. And I think the main reason that they made it like that, because I think the original idea was that they were going to get away with it. Yeah. Because it's like an, it's like Ocean's Eleven now or like um, most heist movies. But uh, the reason they did it, one of the main reasons they did it is because they wanted a decent release in America. The Hayes Code. Yep. And in 1951, you can't have a movie end with the criminals getting away from no. it, no, getting away with it, no matter how charming they are. Side note. We discussed that over Christmas, uh, if you remember Christmas. Remember when that happened? Wasn't Christmas. that great? Christmas. Was yeah. it Jesus' birthday? It was Jesus' birthday, yeah. Okay. And on the night before Jesus' birthday, I watched uh, for the first time straight through It's a Wonderful Life. And as you pointed out to me, the bad guy in that movie doesn't really get any comeuppance whatsoever. No. He just kind of like, he, he gets his money because the whole town brings up. Now, is that a question of like, 
Was that like a violation of the Hayes Code? Or was it because he was a businessman and that that was cool because he was, you know, doing business and making money the American way? Was that not considered a violation? No, I think they just slid it under the studio's nose because I think they were like, as long as Jimmy Stewart gets his ending, yeah. we don't have to go back to that. That Mr. happy Potter. ending is distracting enough. But this isn't the uh, It's a Wonderful Life podcast. This isn't the It's a Wonderful Pod <laughs> podcast. The it's a wonder, it's a wonderful life minute. Yeah, oh no, that would be a long running show. Well, the Star Wars minute is. I think they're into uh, the new movies now, and they've done the prequels and the. Uh, Are they only do one episode a week. They do one episode a week, I think. Yeah, of one minute each. Oh my yeah. lord! They when they did the pod race sequence, apparently, because the pod race sequence in episode one is fifteen minutes long. So so it took like four they months. Had four months, like almost four months of podcast. Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right. Um, so what were you saying just before that? Oh, villain getting the comeuppance. Yeah, so he gets his comeuppance at the end, and so that is allowed to be released in America. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure that's the only it reason they be. did it. It has to be. Because, you, like I said... It, um... But at the same time, it's a really clever way to end the movie. As you pointed out, starting off with the guy getting away is a weird way to throw out some of the suspense, but then yeah. to pay off with that... It's a good it's a good bookend, I suppose. Like it would probably be weird if in Ocean's Eleven it started off with George Clooney and, and Brad Pitt just sitting there and George Clooney's like, Can't believe we we got away with it. I can't believe we did that heist we did. Yeah. It's amazing. And let's talk about it. And then at the end they're just like, All right, let's get out of here. <laughs> that that's what I thought it was at first. And then they walk out handcuffed together and you're like, What? And then, yeah, and then what I was that, <laughs> One of them was undercover cops. <laughs> And then, but then when I was pulling the clips for this episode, I, I, like I, that's when I noticed. I was like, "Oh, the handcuff is there," but it's so subtle; mm. it's it's not very apparent. No, and, um, uh, because audiences back then, well, I guess, had better attention spans and would pay attention to shit like that. Yeah, unlike the the Zoomers of today with their with their MP3 players and their goddamn compact computers. Oh boy, here we go, Zoomer. Um, so Alec Guinness's character, we talked about him being bookish and stuff, but did you notice like there's little things that he does, like whenever he gets a moment where he kind of realizes his power or realizes like something's going his way, he gets this weird little smile. Yes. Yes. He's, he's enjoying it. And we see that uh, most prominently, I would say. So they, when the heist, shortly after the heist happens, they, of course they tie him up and make it look like that he had been beaten up and tied up. And he is, he's basically declared a hero, I guess, because he got robbed. Uh, he's, like, in the papers, and, and he seems very pleased with himself that he's getting all this lovely, like, publicity and attention. Um, yeah. And clearly, as a bookish, this kind of bookish, quiet person who's been working this con for minimum six months and maximum 20 years, um, you know, he's not a guy that gets a lot of attention. And he, I think he likes it. I think he does. Well, and I also noticed even earlier than that is when – so he's making these trips. He's in the van with the gold. Yes. He's, there's two uh, – it's basically like a Brinks truck. Yeah. There's two guards driving, and he'll ring this little bell yes. whenever he thinks that someone might be tailing them or something like or that. Or basically and, he needs them to pull over and let him out because he's yeah. locked in there. Like, we'll stop. Yeah, something. I need to tell you something. So yeah. they open it up, and you know he'll tell them like, oh, someone's been tailing us. Go around the corner and just see if there's anyone there. Give me your gun. And so the guard gives him his gun. Every time he gives him his gun, which is in two scenes, he gets that smile. Yes. He gets that little like, oh, I've got that, a gun now. He can feel it. He can feel the power. Now, also, yeah. my question in that type of scene or in that specific scene. Is, is he doing that to, to Pavlov them? Is that what you were going to say? 
to Pavlov them. Like, to basically make it so that they'll, they'll be like, oh, he's stopping the van. No big, no oh, big deal. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. No, my, my question was, you're sending, from a, like... From the perspective of being an actual bank guy who's trying to protect the load and that's the cover he has, why would you send the guy around the corner to check something out without his gun? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I asked that too. And I'm wondering if that's just like him being like, I want the gun. But they, I think that's part of getting the gun away from him later on or having the gun away from him so that they can take the truck. I wonder if that's like a routine and I don't know how rooted this is in reality. So mm. if there's any Brinks truck drivers out there, let us know ex- your exact routine and how I you actually do know an armored car truck driver, my friend's uh, girlfriend. I should yeah. ask her. I, I don't know how much they can tell you, but <laughs> um, I don't know. Right? She'll, I bet you she'll tell. Okay. Me. We'll get the full deets. Right. Um, but I was going to ask is like, I wonder if that's a thing where, like, okay, I'm sending you to go around the corner and check, but if I don't have a gun and they get back here, I have no way to defend yeah, myself. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, so yes, if I, you get shot, like, fuck, that sucks. But, like, if I get shot, the Then they get gone. the gold, and yeah. the gold is more important than the human lives that are protecting it. Exactly. That's, Honestly. That's the lesson that this movie's trying to impart. Gold greater than sign humans. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, he's very – he has these weird moments of, like, satisfaction. Hmm. Uh, and then we get Pendlebury, played mm. by Stanley Holloway, who is a very different, a very blustery man. Yes, yes, absolutely. He's a, he's a, a he, does he consider himself a sculptor? Uh, yeah. This is like his hustle. This is his way to make money. I love, I'm, I know we talked about it already, but I love that that's his business, is making <laughs> tourist yeah. merch in England for actual merch from different countries but and then sending it to them and then people buy it. but but and also it's the thing it's like that I, I don't know if that was happening at the time or if they just had that kind of foresight because that's exactly what happens now except it's china all the yeah. all that stuff comes from china uh, they, they just got the country wrong <laughs> yeah I, I mean you go to boston and buy a shirt that says like you know wicked boston piss- strong wicked pissa wicked pissa i don't <laughs> think those are together that's weird it's a wicked strong boston pissa <laughs> i do i do have a wicked pissa song uh, shirt, but I'm Duncan or death. I'm guessing that was not made in Boston. No, probably not. Um, but uh, we talk about uh, Pendlebury. Let's actually play a brief clip of uh, Pendlebury and um, I guess Holland. Play Al Dutch. Guinness. Well, we Dutch later. I want to talk about yeah. that actually too. But um, there, he kind of is like floating the idea of the plan to Pendlebury in his own little way. Oh, my dear Holland, I'm so sorry. You're still feeling bad. The heat of that place. I always forget. No, no, it wasn't the heat. <clears throat> I'm used to that in my job. Oh, really? Your place is very similar to the refinery. Really? I had no idea. We turn gold into bars, you turn lead into Eiffel Towers. That's the only difference. Only? <laughs> if I had gold to deal with. Yes. Ah, an idle dream. <laughs> Must be a big responsibility. No, not really. If anyone did rob our van, Oh, it's virtually impossible to dispose of stolen bullion in this country at any rate. Yes. Oh, yes, I imagine so. But, of course, if it could be smuggled aboard... What a hope. Oh, I wouldn't say it's out of the question. Saying one had the means of melting the stuff down. In the kitchen stove? What a job. No, of course not. It would mean taking on a partner. Ah, risky. Bringing other people in. That would be essential in any case. No one person could rob our van unaided. You mean he'd need accomplices? Precisely. A gang. A gang? Not too easy to come by. 
Oh, I don't know. With gold selling on the continental black market at two and a half times its standard price, I mean, quite a few people would be willing to chance an arm for half a million. <laughs> yes. But how, uh, how would you get your gold across to the continent? Well, supposing one had the right sort of partner in the form of, uh, shall we say, Eiffel Tower paperweights. Oh, Jove, Holland, it's a good job we are both honest men. It is indeed, Pendlegree. So I love that moment at the end, too. Like, you know, good thing we're honest. And now again, yeah. it's like, oh, it is indeed a good thing, Pendlebury. <laughs> and, and right at the end, too, they have that look where yeah. he kind of like turns around and looks back. And, it kinda... and he's got that creepy smile you were talking about yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Uh... No, I love that. He's like, he's just like floating the idea like, well, suppose we robbed the bank and you need a partner, right? Like, how would you do that? Yeah. Like, it's very like. <laughs> and I had a thought, too, just uh, tangentially. Um and we haven't watched this movie yet, but I wonder if, if Alec Guinness's very subtle uh, character in this movie maybe was an inspiration for the much bigger, uh, biggest dickus in uh, Monty Python and the uh, uh, or Monty Python's Life of Brian. Hmm. I haven't the, with that type of uh, with the Oz, the biggest dickus. I guess I he doesn't have that same lisp, but I will say I haven't seen Life of Brian in a long time, so I don't remember a lot. Oh, you'll love Biggest Dickus. <laughs> I mean, I usually do, um, but, but yeah, in that scene, like it ends like that and, and he's very much like playing, he's a manipulator, right? Like he's, he's yes. doing like a version. I know we, we watched the lady killers mm-hmm. and he was very obviously a manipulator mm-hmm. and much bigger, like a much bigger yes. character, much, much more, more broad, cartoonish, much more cartoonish. And I feel like this is like a subtler version of yes. that. Um, 100% Brendan. Yeah. Is that what you got to? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Lady he's, killers. Except where. I get the sense that the character in the Lady Killers was like a long time con man who's been doing this for years. This guy, even though this is a long term con, this is the first time he's actually trying to do this. Yeah. But he's also learned over the years of working in this job how to manipulate people when he needs to. And as much as I remember when we did that movie, you said Lady Killers, you found it looks like a little boring. Yeah. Um, and I kind of defended it. But when I'm watching this, I'm like, this is like. The better version of that. Absolutely. Like, yeah. this is the more interesting version. The characters are more interesting. There's set pieces that That's are it, more interesting. because this is a movie with four white guys as kind of the main characters. Yeah. And so was Lady Killers in a lot of ways. But, like, with Lady Killers, even though Peter Sellers, of all people, was among those people, those guys didn't feel like they had much character between them. Like, there was a tall guy and there was a shorter guy and there was a funny guy. Like, they didn't – but yeah. this one, like, all those four feel very distinct. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. That's what I was thinking the whole time watching this. I'm like, oh, I can actually tell you a little bit about each character yeah. and not have it run into the other one. It's like it's like that, that test that you have when you're like, okay, watch episode one and tell me who Qui-Gon Jinn is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the Red Letter Media test. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> without saying he's a Jedi, without yeah. saying, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just think... I just think that whole thing is interesting where how he's like, he's he's kind of a version of that character. But like... Also, this also starts a, a thing that I love in these movies is when there's like a seemingly innocuous thing that happens and mm-hmm. it makes them think of something else. Yes. Like there's a moment where there's like a mousetrap on the, on the floor and Alec Guinness puts his hat down and gets it caught and then he's like a trap. Yes, a trap. Bait. We have to trap someone. And they're talking about like getting people to help them. 
And so they, I actually just want to play this montage because I think it's hilarious. But they're going in public and loudly talking to hope that <laughs> someone will fall into their trap. And we'll talk about it after the clip. But like, yeah, just play this. Mr. Bendleby. Hello, Mr. Bendleby. Hello. Hi, good evening. Hi, Joe. What a bit of luck. Just the man I wanted to see. What's the trouble? That's safe in my office. Something's gone wrong with the lock. I'll send a man round tomorrow. I wish you would. It worries me a little leaving the staff wages there overnight. You know the address? Gewgaws Limited. Gewgaws Limited. You know the back of Rathbing Place there. The fancy leaving all that money there. Why, anybody could break into the place tonight and help themselves. Come on, number five! You've done it! Stay there, me beauty! Stay there! Also love at the end of that scene, you can you can only hear it, but as they're at like um, a racetrack, a racetrack, um, and the guy like yells over both of them. Alginus give, or you know, Alginus gives Pendlebury a look like it's not working, it's not working. Yeah. Like he's very like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're basically just going around yelling that they have this safe that <laughs> can be just opened, hoping they, that some criminal will overhear it. Yeah, because they don't have to find it. criminals; they're two honest men, right? right. So why would they know? <laughs> and the greatest thing is that it works. Yeah, <laughs> and I think my favorite part about that whole thing where they recruit these guys that are trying to break in and steal the safe is that there's like another knock on the window, and I think Pendlebury is like. Oh, was that another one? No, we're full up. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's just like a police officer. It's like, your window's open. (laughs) Um, And and there's also like great things there is that they're waiting. They're waiting to catch someone. Um, The guy knows that they're waiting. He's like waiting by the safe. So he just starts, he just takes out a sandwich that he brought with him and just starts eating it. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool use of lighting in that scene too, with the shadows and everything. It was really, really nice on the black and white film. Oh yeah, like no, Ealing Studios movies are known for like having lower budgets, but mm. this movie like looked really good. This, and especially something later that comes up, it just is kind of innovative. But yeah, impressive what they managed to do. Yeah, the, the, the whole look of the aesthetic of this movie is great. So, but this is where we get um, Lackery played by Sid James mm-hmm. and Shorty played by um, Alfie Bass. Alfie Bass, and again, very distinctively different mm-hmm. personalities. Yeah, yeah, where the, the former dude is, is more like kind of pragmatic, hardened criminal. You know, Alfie Bass's character, Shorty, is much more like youthful and, and optimistic and energetic. And I always like the, in movies when criminals meet up for the first time, they never met each other. It's like, are you the one that did the job in 47? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> and they like hug each other. Yeah, <laughs> if it's like a, like, a, like a high school reunion or something. It's like uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when Jane Silent Bob run into Tracy Morgan's character, Pumpkin Escobar, and they're like, oh, we're in the drug dealers union together. <laughs> Angeles local 305. Yeah. You guys get <laughs> what, what is he? He's like, you guys getting over there in Hollywood? He's like, you no, doing? we may have to strike in September. Yeah, we voted for health coverage or something like yeah. that. <laughs> oh, man. Love that movie. Uh, yeah, so we get all the four together. And I got to say, their plan is hilarious. Yes. Um, because... He wants to make sure, but it makes sense if you think about it. Like it's pretty logical. And actually, what I want to say before we lay out what the plan is, sure. they actually went to the Bank of England. Ealing Studios went to the Bank of England and said, huh. "Help us find a way, help <laughs> us devise a plan in which a million pounds sterling could be stolen from your bank." And the bank was like, "Go fuck yourself and, and get bank, out of our bank." And the bank said, "What? We'll <laughs> appoint a special committee and do that right away." <laughs> and they did. That was the thing, Brendan. In the old days, everybody was so enchanted by the idea of TV and films that they would do anything to help. 
<laughs> I mean, it's true. They made a they made a special committee, and they were you know they were tasked with coming up with an idea, and the plan that they came up with is the one in the movie. Huh. Now I wonder if they changed their security procedures after that, so that wouldn't work. Or you know they might have tweaked it a little. Maybe bit. I would hope just, so. Just just just. They gave it enough realism, but then we're like, you know what? Maybe don't show that. So like, like when in Fight Club, when he tells them how to mix na- make napalm, and he doesn't give them the right recipe, you actually got to go online to find that. Oh, does he not? I think in the book, Chuck Palahniuk might, but it's a, it's not the proper well, recipe in the movie. It's because uh, he says equal parts styrofoam and gasoline. And I think there's a different ratio. Don't tell the people. <laughs> I'm not telling them what it is. You can find that out yourself. Um, that's gonna make my napalm real weird because I've been <laughs> just following Fight Club. That's why it won't work. Oh, that's why. It- just gives me a rash. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so the heist is laid out. They're going to have Shorty and Lackery um, basically, quote unquote, rob them, steal the van. Yes. And with Alec Guinness in the back screaming like, oh, no, no, save me. Yes. And then and then eventually once they get the gold, they're going to put it into these Eiffel Tower uh, figurines. Yes. Send them off to France. Brilliant. They're going to get um, exchanged. I guess that's never that part is never fully explained. Like they got to get them to France, but from France somehow they can get them to where they needed to go. I yeah. guess it's harder from England because England is an island. Get them some uh, to some shady dealer. Yeah, um, it's like the underpants gnome. Step three, col- uh, step one, collect underpants. Step two, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. step three, profit. Exactly. So they whatever step two is, they know what they're doing. Yeah, so that's their plan, um, and it doesn't really go according to plan no not quite well sort of so there's a scene later on where they're actually planning it and um <laughs> i actually this is one of my biggest laughs is that Guinness is like reading what they're doing and uh lacquery is like edgar and he's like what edgar and he's like isn't that what they say in the kinema and he's trying to say like they're saying Roger, like they say Roger in the movies, and he just thinks it's Edgar. And he also says Kinema, Kinema. which is a nice little touch too. Um, so that's a funny little detail. I love that he's never heard somebody say the word cinema out loud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just seen it written down, and 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 he thinks it's Edgar. Yeah. Is he Welsh? Maybe I don't know. Actually, I think Roger and Welsh is Prosser. So. Uh, so they go. Yeah, the heist uh, doesn't quite go as planned. No. Uh, and he makes them leave some of the money, which they don't like, or some of the gold. He's like, "That's like seventy-five thousand quid in gold. What are you doing?" He's like, "Well, they can't, you can't get it all. It has to look like uh, you know, like you, you were rushing." Yeah, his whole thing is about we need to make this look good. You have to give me the alibi. So I guess part of it too is that then he's then the hero, I guess, for saving that gold, mm-hmm. maybe rather than just being robbed. Yeah. Well, I think anybody who gets kidnapped is a hero. Yes, absolutely, a hero. And a scholar. And? Uh, vanguard for the species. Yep, and? Uh, my left foot. Oh. <laughs> All right, Christy. <laughs> oh, also, by the way, there's there's a thing, um, there's a little bit of foreshadowing because when they're all planning the heist, I don't know if this was like, I only noticed it when I lo- went back to get the clip, but there's prison bars in the background. Hmm. So like when they're actually... Fo- Finally meeting together for the first time, all four of them. Mm. Yeah, there's just like they're sitting in front of what looks like prison bars. I'm like, oh, okay. Subtle, subtle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also do like it now. We talked about how I talked about how Lackery is like, oh, Edgar, and he doesn't get that right. Shorty mm. also says, like, you know, as the as William Shakespeare said, patience is a virtue. I'm like, that's not a Shakespeare quote. <laughs> 
That's okay. That's okay. Well, that's, Shakespeare is is the modern version of. Uh, there's a character in the BattleTech franchise uh, who uh, is named Jerome Blake, and he is the founder of Comstar. And in that universe, all the members of Comstar attribute every single quote that's interesting to him. Yeah. So, patience is a virtue, Jerome Blake. Patience is a virtue, William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare is the Jerome Blake of our age. I just think I just thought it was funny that they both had like a yeah. Because they're both kind of lunkheads, right? Yeah, they're both dumb idiots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they disappear from the movie halfway through because remember at, at some point they're like, okay, we need to go to uh, to Paris yeah. to collect the That's gold. That's true. They just kind of fuck off, and we never see them, do and, we? Yeah, well, they, well, the, well, hilariously, we have Lackery saying like, "I can't go. My old lady doesn't want That's me right. to leave." And Shorty is like, "Well, I'll stay with you." And they're like, "Just give us our money in your socks or whatever." <laughs> Um, and then, of course, we know that never happens. But, yeah, they're just out of the movie at that point. Yeah. Um, but then we get to, like, the France stuff, the Paris stuff. And that's when I think the it really – like, it's good up till then. But I think at the, when they get to the Paris, I think the stuff really gets, like, really interesting. Yes, because they – because they've, they've, by the time they get to Paris, they have accomplished the heist. The heist is accomplished in the middle of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the heist is accomplished. I and mean, there's still about 30 minutes left. And you're like, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. What else is going on? Yeah. So they get over to France. They want to go check on the status of their uh, of their hall. And they had put them in specific boxes labeled Export R. And told and Pendlebury told the French lady working there, do not sell them. Do not any sell of any of the f- boxes labeled Export R. And but she's she says, like, of course. <laughs> but 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 then she has sold them to six Paris school children. Yeah. When he, and when he is confounded, she says, no, no, no. You said not to sell them out of, out of the box marked Ah, <laughs> I said that, that is an air. <laughs> classic, classic British humor about the French language. Yeah, so they're in trouble because six uh, Paris schoolgirls have bought Eiffel Tower figures. And apparently Alec Guinness is so uh, absolutely certain that if anybody sees those gold Eiffel Towers that they'll somehow immediately trace it back to him. I mean, I think because uh, this might be after the scene where they, they mentioned the name of the van. Uh, oh no no no! That's later. That's, that's later. later. But I mean, maybe he was just like we know. We know, we know he's, he's paranoid. Super careful. Yes, yeah. we know he's. And and honestly, folks, if you are pulling off a heist of your own, you need to be super careful. You do. Yeah, absolutely. If, do. if you can learn anything anything from this podcast, I'd like to think it's about at least heist safety tips. That's right. It's about planning, but it's also about having the flexibility to adapt to the situation. Because you know, as as they say, no uh, plan survives first encounter with the enemy. So you got to be ready to improvise. I think that's a that's a quote from the Dalai Lama. Uh, I think that was Jerome Blake. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think you mean William Shakespeare. Shakespeare, of course. Why not? <laughs> um, but did you notice, like in this scene? So they're they're actually like kind of chasing because the girls get into an elevator and they're like, "Oh, we got to take the stairs." Do you know what movie um, kind of aped this whole scene? Uh, was it <laughs> Last Tango in Paris? No, because <laughs> I don't believe this is a scene where Allegheny's fucks Stanley Hollywood with butter. <laughs> well, I, I was waiting. I was waiting for it because I figured every movie with Paris in it would have that happen. No, this is Vertigo. Oh, okay. Because as they're going I haven't actually down, seen Vertigo. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> but they're going down this winding staircase, and the camera is, like, tilting, too. And I actually, even watching it on my TV, yes. I kind of felt it a little bit, too. It was interesting. I, I, my wife walked in while I was watching this and scared me. No, she didn't. Uh, she's not that scary uh, most of the time. Uh, but Where are you uh, going with this? <laughs> she walked in and she saw because at the beginning of the scene, like his hat comes off or he throws his hat and we see it floating down. Yeah. And she was laughing at the effects of it. I'm like, hey, that's pretty good effects for 1951. It wasn't bad for 1951. <clears throat> and uh, and I thought like when they were at the top of the Eiffel Tower, I thought the I thought it looked really good. Like I wasn't sure whether it was a projection or whether they actually shot like a 
a, a shot at the top of the Eiffel Tower. I'm, now, in retrospect, I'm pretty sure it was a projection based on the following scene. Mm. But yeah, they they use the effects really well, and like I, I enjoy how the um, it's clearly when they're running down the stairs and you see them like running along the pillar. The pillar is turning, and they're just running on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, yeah, and and like the way the camera is turning, the scenery, and the way when they look down, it does that like almost, almost the pull focus yeah. thing, or the, not pull focus. What do you call it? It's that Hitchcock shot. Yeah, where it just does quick zoom, and it feels like it feels very unsettling. Yeah, it's almost that. Yeah. Um, not quite. But then I think I mean I would venture a guess this ha- this heavily inspired scenes in Vertigo because mm. this is almost the same shots and then when they get down they're so they're still dizzy so the camera is still kind of wavering. It's almost around. like a descent. It's a descent downstairs, but also a descent into madness because yeah. by the end of it they're both like laughing is because they're so fucking dizzy from running down these stairs. Yeah, it's the comedy version of Vertigo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, this whole scene is is wild. I can only imagine people watching this in 1951. Yeah, that would be pretty out there for that time. Um, and then you know they have uh, so so they 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 make it. I, I know I'm talking about this in order, but I just think the Paris stuff is so good. Mm. Um, but they finally make it to this like school. They track down the girl's school, which again it's borders on creepy. Yes. But you know what they actually want to do, but to everyone else, this should be really creepy. But why, and, and yeah, 1951, if two men come to this lady teacher and be like, yes, we'd like to address your class, we're from the company that made these uh, uh, things, it's like, I guess she has no reason to doubt them. I mean, I think <laughs> in 1951, people didn't really think about that as much. It's like, oh no, these two these two old men want to come talk to these teenage girls? Absolutely. Or preteen girls? Absolutely. Come yeah, on in. Say they're hello. Very, they're very young. So they, they and, and in that scene, they offer to buy... Well, well, exchange and then pay a premium on top of it for them back to any of the girls that want to give them back. Yeah, they're like we we have we've made a new design and it wasn't ready. No, yet. I, I think I think the thing was yeah, it was made of experimental metal and <laughs> it didn't it wasn't ready for prime time yet. So they wanted to get them back and give them ones so just as good. Not ready for prime time metal. So instead of gold, which is you know perfectly inert they give them lead which is going to kill them <laughs> yeah except for one uh one particular mm-hmm. student who doesn't want to switch and Very want smart. and and wants uh and doesn't want 10 pounds because and he says it's the same thing it's even better what's what, what's the difference and she goes this one's mine and let's play that clip these gentlemen are from the firm that makes the eiffel tower models that some of you bought in paris it appears that by a mistake you were sold a new experimental type, which they're anxious to have back. They'll exchange them for others equally good. Also, and I consider this most generous, they will give ten shillings to each girl who helps them in this way. To each girl who helps them in this way. Think of all the speeches you could buy with this. There we are. <laughs> Just as pretty, isn't it? Really, June. Look at them together and you'll see. There's no difference, is there? Now, come on, tell us. What's the difference? That one's mine. 
Well, I'm sorry. I can't force the child to give it up. Does the odd one really matter? Indeed it does, madam. Were it to fall into the hands of... A business rival. Yes, but that won't happen. Well, uh, we've kept you too long as it is. Thank you very much. But, but... Uh... By the way, that is the most accurate scene in the entire movie because that is the most kid response. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent legit, like real feeling kid would absolutely would want to keep it because it was theirs. It was the one that they got when they were in Paris. Why would they want to give it up? And I love that he tries to appeal to this girl who this girl is not overweight by modern standards, but maybe by nineteen fifty one standards she's a little chubby. And he's like, think of all the sweeties you could buy with this. I didn't. Even she's think, not biting. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I just thought he was saying something that kids would like, and I was like, oh, they're probably making a kid fat joke. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, they, yeah, they try to take it. They try to take it from her, and she's a no go. And they track her down. Yes. And start stalking this other little girl, and she wants to give it to her policeman friend, her who, boyfriend. Yeah, he calls her his girlfriend, and I yeah. was like, that's well. And she asks the police officer where he is, and she goes, "Oh, your boyfriend's over there in this in the school." And so they head to the police metropolitan police training school. So wait, is that really supposed to be? Yeah, because it's like there's like an open house going on there. No, no, but is that really supposed to be her boyfriend? No, I, I don't think in that way. I think okay. that she's just super friendly with that particular cop, okay. and the joke is that that's her boyfriend. Scared me a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I literally don't think that there's anything untoward going on. I think it's just it's just a fun joke because she's a kid. So yeah, but yeah, she gives him it, and then that's when the whole another huge set piece, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they they notice that the 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 inspector is there from from you know from England. Yeah. And uh and by the way, like you said, this is a big police uh what do you call it? It's a police school, but it's like an open house. An open house. So there's the lots school. of like so literally they'll walk around and someone'll be like, take your fingerprints? Yeah. Like just for fun. <laughs> yeah. So they literally police wall to wall in this place. Yeah. And they somehow think the best the best thing to do is just to steal that Eiffel Tower. Which is you know what it, it seems like a dumb idea, but given the sheer amount of people there, it works out for them because they're basically able to run around and avoid everybody and, and they duck through the back you know, back behind all the booths and it's very mad, 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 mad world. Yeah, it's very madcap. They're like huge amount of people are like chasing them, and they like duck behind a wall and put a false wall into place, and everybody turns because they think that they went the other way. And yeah, yeah. it actually kind of reminded me of like um, of like a choreography of like uh, the director of uh, Hal. What's his name? Hal Roach. No, the guy who directed, I'll need him. Yeah, thank you. Oh, okay, kind of reminded me of the, the the choreography of like a Hal Needham action movie, hmm. that everything just kind of falls into place, yeah. and you know, there's a lot of madcap shit, and people are like putting up fake walls, like you said, and running around. It's so just, they do all those gym gymnastics, I guess. Gym kata. Gym kata. They're jumping around and using pummel horses and shit, and then they uh, <laughs> run outside and they steal a police car. And what's interesting uh, outside is that it's, conveniently these police cars are there for a demonstration of the radios that are right. in the police car. So they have a police car with a radio and they can hear all the dispatches and everything's going on. And Alec Guinness is very smart and takes up the idea of using the radio to fuck with them and give them like false information, which is brilliant for 1951. That's exactly what you're going to do in that situation. However, he, he double fucks them because he tells them they're in a given car and then they realize eventually that, you know, he's been feeding them false information and it turns out he told them the wrong car anyway. So now they're going after a different car. <laughs> yeah. He fucks himself over. And then especially when the cop that, Oh, and then I think the most insane part of this movie, Jason, is a car 
crashes against a cop car. Their antennas literally cartoonishly twirl around <laughs> each other. And old McDonald has a fire in place through every single police radio. Absolutely. So when the cop is like hitching a ride <laughs> on uh, Allie Guinness and like Pendlebury's ride, and he's like, "Old McDonald had a farm," and he's like singing along or whatever thing or whatever. It eventually stops, and then he hears the police radio coming from their car, and he's like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it goes from there. He yep. Alginus manages to uh, to get away, as or so we think. Yes. Because, like we said, this whole thing is actually, he's been captured. Yes. But you notice, like, the weird thing, too, is, like, the whole thing with him and Rio, there's all these people coming up to him and, like, oh, thank you for making this place so much better. You've <laughs> elevated everything. Yes, this white man from England came into Rio de Janeiro and made everything better. Yeah. <laughs> Make Rio great again. But I guess that's it, too. It's like he, he, he was living off the proceeds of those six uh, Eiffel Towers that he had. Um, so I guess that's also implying that that money goes a long way in uh, Rio. Well, he said he had about $25,000. Yes. Which at that time was a lot more than twenty five thousand. And probably again went went way further in Rio than it would have. Elsewhere. What are you trying to say? I just a poorer country. Are you blaming it on Rio? <laughs> I again, blame, I blame it on the rain, Brendan. You blame it on Rango? Yes, Rango. Fuck that lizard. <laughs> that lizard parrot hybrid in my mind. <laughs> Not even no. What one scene we should talk about too? Oh. Or no, go ahead before we get to the end of it. Um, yeah. is how. After the heist takes place, there's some miscommunication about what's going on, and things almost break bad. So when the heist initially goes off... Um, yeah, Alakinus does a lot of crystal meth in this movie. <laughs> so much crystal meth. Uh, when the heist goes off, uh, Mr. Penderley... Penderley? Pendlebury. Pendlebury. Mr. Pendlebury is like looking... He's at like an art tent that's like on the side of the road, and he's looking at some art. And when the van is coming, he goes to assume his position, and, but he, he carries a piece of art with him and basically steals it. Not intentionally, but he's just so absent-minded, he takes it with him. And, of course, the guy chases after him, and then it causes this big distraction. Was that necess- Was that intended? I thought that it wasn't, and then I thought it was, and now I think it wasn't because... Um, later on, Pendlebury is taken to the cops. Like mm. the guy takes him to the cops, and he—I think he's quick on his feet to make up this story about the the paint that the painting that he stole being worth all this money, yeah. and that causes the, the shop owner to be like, "I got to go back and sell it at the right yeah, price." He, he goes, no, forget it, the charges. Worth Ten pounds. Wait, I'm only charging five for it. I gotta yeah. get back here. Forget it. And yeah, forget leaves. the charges. I'm going. And but, he, it, but he pretty much admits to the crime in vague terms to them. He's like, "Yeah, I yeah. am a thief. I am a criminal." Should we hear that scene? Yeah, let's play it. Well, you might as well know. I was lying. I am a thief. It was madness to attempt it. We weren't cut out for crime, either of us. We? My partner and I. Your partner? Here, if you're working with the fence, you've got them other pictures. Carry on. Oh, I make no excuses. All my life has been my ambition to surround myself with rare and beautiful things. Suddenly faced with this golden opportunity. Yeah. You call that picture of mine rare and beautiful? Since you will keep on interrupting me, you ought to know it's a charming example of an early Rocher, while he was still under the influence of Coro. Well, how much is it worth? Ten pounds, to those who can afford it. Oh, blimey. I've got it marked up for five bob. Here, what about this charge? Let him go. I've got to get back before they sell that picture. You're lucky day, it seems. All right, case dismissed. Off you go. Fucking Judge Dredd there, case dismissed. <laughs> just do it like that, man. It's just like that. I don't know if you knew this, but in 1951, cops were also judges. That's right. 
Judge, juries, executioner. And your lawyer. Your defense lawyer, too. Oh. It was a conflict of interest. They had to stop. Yeah, that's why they don't do it anymore. Yeah. Obviously. Just think about if it was bad for us, how bad it was for anyone that wasn't white, too. Exactly. Like, that was a real bad law. But yeah, though, that, that scene's really interesting. And that's the reason why I don't think it was planned, because he sees Alec Guinness arrive at the police station, yes. having been saved, but... He looks at him, and for a second, I think he thinks that he might have gotten arrested. I think he assumes that straight through. That's why yeah. he starts confessing to the cops about, you know, I'm a thief and I have a partner and all And this. then he goes and tells his other buddies, like, oh, no, he, I'm pretty sure he got arrested. And then they meet up again, of course, when uh, Pendlebury goes to the hotel. Because they both live at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is really funny in that scene is he hugs Al Guinness, and he's wearing, like, a police sports club sweater. Yeah. Like, they put, <laughs> they put clothes on him yeah. while he was there. Yeah. Um, but the other set piece I actually just wanted to talk about, and I do want to play a clip too, um, is when they're, they're at one point when they're chasing the girls, the girls are going on a boat, and they need to like clear customs and all that stuff, like Al Guinness and Pendlebury. They keep going back and forth, like they keep getting sent. Like, oh, you got to do this. Oh, okay, we got our tickets now. Nope, but you got to go through customs. Oh, we got this now. No, but you got to do. It. And it's so like crazy. Um, I love that scene. Let's let's listen to it. Never do it! Must! Which way? Here, in here! Dover! 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 Wheat! 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 Ah, machine! Hey, what's wrong, monsieur? 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 You, let's see. How? How? I thought I had it. Got it. Oh, vite, 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 s'il vous plaît. Yeah, Dépêchez, je vous en prie. Si. Merci. Got it? Oh, Pendlebury. I'm sorry, I couldn't find it. Pardon, monsieur, pardon. Mais ah, de s'il vous plaît, pardon. Oh, Castro. Hey, hey, hey. We bought nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Vous n'avez rien déclaré? Non. Des cigarettes? Non, non. Tissu? Non, non, non. Bijou? Non, non, non. Cognac? Non, 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 non. non. Ouvrez? Non, non. Open, open. Ouvrez. Pajamas. Oh. So, I mean, that's just a crazy scene. Um, it's all over the place. But. I don't understand why they're doing customs upon exit. I, I, I mean, I, I'm willing to allow that I don't know. Entrance to where? To the boat. To the boat? Why would you need customs on the boat? You would go to England or wherever they're going. I assume they're going back to England. You would get customs when you got there. What's going on? Am I crazy? Was there exit customs at one time? I didn't look it up. Jason? But if I there's just... any customs experts out there, let me know. Are there exit customs? And, and don't 
don't try to tell me you're a customs expert when you're really just an expert at creating a custom superstar on WWE 2K. I mean... Um, that's not the same thing. That's impressive, certainly. Yeah. But it's not what we're talking about. <laughs> so that, yeah. And then that whole thing is just... I, I just It's very... Like, it's a fun scene. It's, it's almost it's, like... It's Benny Hill-esque. Yeah, exactly. Very comedy of errors, back and forth, bouncing around. Yeah. Classic shit. But before we go any further, Jason, oh, I also just want to say the car chase stuff is very impressive yes. for 1951 as well. Very exciting. But before we go any further, Jason, do you have anything else to say or do you want to go into your um, bits and bobs? Bits and bobs. It's been a while. It's been a, wh- been a while. Uh, yes, I would like to say some bits and bobs. Okay, well then on that note, then we will take a brief break, listen to some Age of Radio sponsors, and we will be right back. Don't you forget about bits. Don't you forget about bobs. And bits. No, 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 no. Spits and bobs. Alfie Bass, again, so young, so virile. Good to see him. Have you tested that theory? Uh, I think that that's just self-evident. It's a truth that is self-evident. Must accept them. I, I laughed at the line where he's walking into the hotel. Uh, I think the first time we see him walk into the hotel and one of the other residents walks up to him and is very boisterous. And he goes, you'll be the death of me, Holland. And he goes, I sincerely trust so. <laughs> and he, is this the same guy that's like, you want any gold for me today? Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah. him. Yeah, real loud mouth asshole. Yeah. Uh, cool shadows in the basement. I already talked about that. Um, Oh, we didn't talk about this very much, but um, I, he makes one of them pose as a pavement artist. He makes uh, Shorty pose as a pavement artist and Lackery pose as like just a guy on a bicycle. Mm. And so Lackery is, has never ridden a bicycle, yeah. so he has to like <laughs> practice it or whatever. But like when Alleganis shows up, he's like, I told you it was the opposite. It's like, oh, we couldn't make Lackery the pavement artist. He's colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a funny little detail. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else I got here. And wait, wait, I like it when he's, he's criticizing Shorty's drawings, too, because he's like, those seagulls are way too big. Look, it's perspective, man. Yes. <laughs> uh, a little further in the movie, the the bit that I enjoyed was, so after he's this hero for getting arrested, they're, like, taking him around to different people. So they take him to one office, and you see the name of it, and they bring him out, and they go across the hallway, and then it's, like, the vice chairman, and then they go, and they leave that, and then they go to the chairman's office, and he goes in and gets applauded. I just, I like that door bit. Yeah, that was crazy. And then they they do a bit later where um, they're all having a party, and they literally have put the night the title "The Lavender Hill Mob" in the yeah. room that they're partying. yeah exactly. And then I'm like, <laughs> and they're singing "Odd Lang Syne." Guys, I thought you were being careful. <laughs> yeah, not that careful. Um, and at one point, he's trying to identify the criminals who actually committed this, and he can't quite pin them down, obviously. But he describes them. He, he says, "Oh, oh one, one head, yeah, yeah." He's like one had a snake tattoo, and the other one had a very pronounced foreign accent. So it's like, "Oh yeah, okay, we're gonna blame tattooed people and foreigners for the problem." I, I mean, I thought he was just trying to provide like the most different. Characteristics yeah, exactly, and, and trying to throw them off the scent, but yeah. being generic, but also different than these four white guys that pulled this off. Right. Uh, that stair shot again, fucking great. Um, you should watch Vertigo. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I love I love me the the general in his various movies. That's pretty much it. We've talked about pretty much every bit and bob other than those things. We All already right. hit them. It's a it's a it's a lean bits and bobs. It's lean for sure. Um, well, I want to tell you, Jason, that I mentioned that Al Guinness got nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars. He did not win. Um, the other nominees that year were Marlon Brando for Viva Zapata, mm-hmm. uh, Kirk Douglas for The Bad and the Beautiful, 
Jose Ferrer from Moulin Rouge. I'm assuming the Ewan McGregor version. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the winner that year was Gary Cooper for High Noon, which is a Western that I actually really like. Nice. It did win an Oscar for Best Story and Screenplay. Ooh. And at the BAFTAs, it won Best British Film. Very nice. So, Jason, tell us. What do you think? I like this one a lot. I liked it much more than Lady Killers, which is my, my bar, just because that's the other Alec Guinness heist movie we saw. The characters were better. Alec Guinness's performance was a little more subtle. Um, I remember them all. I liked them very much. And it was a good time. I mean, I, I wouldn't say this was like the most laugh-out-loud movie I've ever watched, but I, I really did enjoy it. And I recommend it heartily yeah. to anybody who's a fan of the genre or Alec Guinness. Entertaining from start to finish and a lot of uh, fun set pieces. Um yeah, it's 17 on the list. Yeah, I mean, it, it moves along for a movie this time, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's very enjoyable. So yep. check it out. It, it's a definite component to your heist movie collection. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see some of the origins, check this out for sure. Um, Lavender Hill Mob, two thumbs up. You didn't have any more to say about it? No, it's great. All right, thank you. <laughs> I think it should be, yeah, 17 sounds pretty good right now, actually. Nice. Maybe it's going to be lower than that, but you know, who knows? <laughs> so we're gonna it's at this point of the show Jason that we are going to roll the dice so you're gonna roll the dice and you're gonna find out what movie that we are gonna talk about next this is the first physical dice roll we've done in a while and yes. we still have what like 30 movies left maybe and we still have this like rank ass list on piece on the piece I'm of paper I'm impressed yeah you've, we've kept it around it hasn't completely fallen apart yet no nope, not yet I have used it to swat flies on occasion alright um, so you're going to roll the dice, and whatever number you get on that dice will be the movie, will associate with the movie on the BFI Top 100 That's that we will right. talk about next week. As a reminder, the red or the green D10 is the 10's D10, and the red D10 is the 1's D10. So mark that on your scorecards, right. turn your cameras on, and get ready. Here we go. So we are looking at a movie in the ooh, top 10. Not too many. Top uh, 9. The top 9, I guess. And... Nope. We've already done number 2. We've already done Brief Encounter. All right. We'll try that again. Here we go. Brief Encounter, great movie though, check it out. 70. 3. Okay, here we go, Jason. We're going to do another uh, Merchant Ivory film. Ooh. This is uh, 1985. Um, the movie in question is called A Room with a View. Huh. Not like a room at the top, nope. but a room with the view. No, this one has a view. There's a window in this room. Oh, that's Don't good. know if it's at the top. I can't confirm or deny, <laughs> but it does have a view. All right. Um, yeah, all I know is I think Helena Bonham Carter is in it. Ooh, I do like her. Yeah. Fight Club, baby. Very young, 1985. Mm. I don't like that you responded to that that way, <laughs> but I'm not surprised. Uh, so that's what we'll do next week. A Room with a View, Merchant Ivory, our second Merchant Ivory movie we talked about on this show. Um, but until then, Jason, they can find us on the social media. They can search for for Screen and Country on Facebook. They can. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can email us for Screen and Country at gmail.com. Uh, find us on all the podcatchers. Our home base, though, is Age of Radio, ageofradio.org, or you can go to ageofradio.org slash for Screen and Country. Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Come on by, say hello, pull up a chair, sit by the fire. Mm, plan a heist. That's right. We'll, 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 and we'll be very thorough and paranoid. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about um, A Room with a View, and we'll see how many times I call it A Room at the Top yep. next week. <laughs> uh, but until then, Jason, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brandon. And I'm Jason. Bye. Bye. Stolen.
I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say, Ah. Yeah, all that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> f- you. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.